Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I was partying. And it was December 9th, December 10th, and I was in the Davis Hospital here in Utah for two days, and then I started to have multiple organ failure. My heart shut down, my liver shut down, my kidneys shut down. So they transferred me to the University of Utah, and the crazy thing you know, about that was nobody in my family knew where I was for those two days. It felt like I had taken a knockout punch to the head. My ears were still ringing. I was really dizzy. I couldn't think. And I remember I was extremely tired, like just even fatigued just talking to people. I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I am not going to be the same. So that was a much more intense feeling because I knew I couldn't walk. I knew I couldn't run. I could barely grasp a spoon. My right leg barely move. I was given a pen and paper to write. All I could do was make circles. You're going to make progress and it's going to be slow and it's going to feel like you're not even making progress, but you have to fight through that. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Using substances like cocaine, methamphetamine, and spice can result in a dramatically increased risk of suffering a stroke. Methamphetamine in particular has a strong causal link with stroke due to its common side effect of causing irregularities in blood pressure. In this episode, we hear from Chuck Quintana from Roy in Utah, who suffered a stroke at the age of 36. Life before the stroke was also chaotic because I am a recovering drug addict. So my life before this was a little bit hectic. I always held a job. I always worked, you know, maintained, but I uh, liked to party. I thought I had everything under control, but I didn't really. It was really good though. I had my kids, I was living, doing well. I was out partying and I had left my house and I was out with some people that I knew. And all I could remember was it just kind of got a little like fuzzy, but I just thought it was because I was partying. And next thing you know, I, I wake up two or three days later in the hospital. So that's kind of where my memory of it began, was actually in the hospital. I don't, I don't remember the actual stroke happening, when it happened, what took place. I had the stroke December 10th, and I was in the Davis Hospital here in Utah for two days. 
And then I started to have multiple organ failure. My heart shut down, my liver shut down, my kidneys shut down. So they transferred me to the University of Utah. And the crazy thing you know, about that was nobody in my family knew where I was for those two days. So they got the call and you know, I'm not even sure who called them or how they knew to call my family. That was quite a shock. I remember the doctor asking me who the president was. I believe I told him it was George Washington. <laughs> he, and he looks at me and he's all, no. And then he came back and he's like, who's the president? And I'm all, Abraham Lincoln. And he's all, no. <laughs> and then they asked me why I was in the hospital, why I thought I was in the hospital. And I told him, well, I th think it's because I was shot, you know? So I thought it was 1997, and in 1997, I was shocked. I thought I was waking up. He's like, nope, it's not 1997. You know, he kind of explained to me a little bit of what happened. It felt like I had taken a knockout punch to the head. My ears were still ringing. I was really dizzy. I couldn't think. And I remember I was extremely tired, like just even fatigued, just talking to people. You know, not only did it shut down my liver, my heart, my kidneys, my muscles started to deteriorate, but it also gave me harmonious hemianopia. It's like where half of your sight is gone. It was a shock. Chuck had suffered another near-death experience in 1997. When I was shot, the percussion was so close to my uh, sciatic nerve that it had briefly paralyzed me. So I had to relearn how to walk back in 1997 and then relearn how to walk again in 2017, you know. The shock value of waking up from a stroke is much more intense. You know, I woke up, you know, the next day at the hospital from being shot and I was in extreme pain. I couldn't walk. Now, when I woke up in the hospital, and it took a few days before you come to and you kind of grasp, like, the severity of everything and what happened. I don't know when that was, but it wasn't on December 12th. It was a few days later that I woke up and I was like, oh, my God. I am not going to be the same. So that was a much more intense feeling because I knew I couldn't walk. I knew I couldn't run. I could barely grasp a spoon. My right leg barely move. I was given a pen and paper to write. All I could do was make circles. And it was the crazy thing about that is when I was writing the circles, it felt like in my head I was writing my name. And I would look down and all I could see was circles. While in hospital, Chuck was able to access a number of support services. I went to a little bit of physical rehabilitation and a little bit of occupational therapy. I did both of those in the hospital. You know, waking up, I remember my sister would take me for walks in the hospital. And I remember the first time we took, I think we just barely went out of the room, walked around maybe 20, 30 feet. I told her I was tired and I slept for like a, almost a whole day because <laughs> of the fatigue factor. Like that, that's a, a hard thing to explain to people, you know, just that how tired you get. 
But yeah, like the rehabilitation, I remember going to the physical therapy and the lady was like, okay, well, I'm going to bounce this ball and I'm going to throw it to you. And my reaction was so delayed at that time. I was like, okay. So she bounces it and she's like, all right, are you ready? And I'm all, yeah. And she threw it and uh, it hit my face and bounced, <laughs> bounced off. I remember looking at my mom and my sister and they were crying. <laughs> they uh, couldn't believe that my muscle coordination wasn't there. Also in the hospital, I remember my sister would take me around the hospital corridor and there was pictures of animals, different animals. I, I didn't know the difference between like a tiger and a zebra. I told her that a dog was a llama, you know, like just everything was like all mixed up. I was excited to go back home. I was excited to go back home, but I was semi-nervous too because I could still remember even when I woke up that after even realizing that my stroke was due to my drug use, that even after waking up, that was like the first thing that I wanted to do was to get high. It was like your head was had such conflicting thoughts, you know? It was quite disturbing. Chuck's doctor believed his stroke was linked to his past drug use. He said that, uh, that he believed that it was because of the meth. You know, I guess my heart rate and everything must have skyrocketed and basically caused the stroke. He basically told me that if I relapse, I'll possibly die. As far as I can tell, it's been a good progress. I've only had one slip up and it was actually almost a year ago. It's been kind of hard here and there, but I've been able to keep my sobriety under check with great friends, socializing, going to NA meetings, working my program, doing my step work, you know, contacting my sponsor every day. That's helped me out so, so much. I can't really even explain or put it into words. It was quite a struggle. I'm trying to fight and stay awake and trying to walk from here to the bathroom. At the same time, my brain's telling me that it wants to get high. It was definitely a struggle of good and evil, you know? It was, it was intense. It was quite an experience. Since 1997, Chuck's life has been filled with challenges, including two near-death experiences, and he's overcome every single one. Still to come, on Stroke Stories, Chuck on his amazing recovery. I'm back up on my feet. Now I can walk, I can run. I got a job in December. I'm stocking the shelves on uh, the base. So, I mean, it's been wonderful. And on finding a new passion. I like to ride every day. I don't know if I'd ever be able to turn that into a career or anything or write a book, but, you know, I just want to be able to spend more time with my family, my kids, and enjoy it. And being able to write helps me escape from that mental lockdown that we all suffered in the hospital. Let's hear how Chuck's family coped with his stroke. They were very supportive. I had a, a lot of help from my family. I got to thank my sisters, my mom and dad, and my brother, because without them, I would have been completely lost in this whole process. So I definitely want to thank my family. But, you know, my progress from then till now is 
total night and day. I barely walk into walls. <laughs> I still forget stuff. You know, I'll still forget even when I'm talking where I'm at in the conversation, what someone has asked me. So I'll try not to stop talking because I know as soon as I stop talking, that's when I'll just totally forget and <laughs> and have to be like, wait, what was that question? Shortly after I got out of the hospital, I developed asphasia. It had really affected my communication skills. So I would talk and stop. And uh, when I would go to do stuff, I would shake uncontrollably. And that lasted for about a month or so. So, you know, that was a shock. I remember making a sandwich and my mom recorded it and it took me three or four minutes or something. She was recording and I was like, cool. I was like, how long did that take? And she told me and I was like, looked at her like, what? Why it took that long? And then I watched the video and I was like shaking. I would, you know, do the movements twice and I couldn't get the peanut butter on the bread. And it was, you know, it was just quite a, a shock to see because in my head, I felt like I was moving quite fluidly and that I would only jerk like maybe once here and there. I'm back up on my feet. Now I can walk. I can run. I got a job in December. I'm stocking the shelves on uh, the base. So, I mean, it's been wonderful. I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now. I'm happy with stocking the shelves. It's a good job. It's, you know, it's an easy job mentally and pretty much physically as well. I mean, there's a little bit of physical exertion, but, you know, I'm only scheduled every other day. It works out. You gain a different appreciation for life, I guess, after it was basically taken from you. And you start to look at things a little differently. I feel like I've lived three or four lives already. And you know, from being shot, the drug use, the strokes, you know, failed relationships, all of that, you know, it just seems like I'm much older than what I should be. <laughs> Chuck's stroke has also changed his relationship with his children. It's gotten better. I'm there for them more. I spend more time with them one-on-one. I'm involved in their sports. I have two boys and one girl, and it's definitely brought me closer to my family and my kids, for sure. I found a new love for writing, so I like to write every day. I don't know if I'd ever be able to turn that into a career or anything or write a book, but, you know, I just want to be able to spend more time with my family, my kids, and enjoy it. And being able to write helps me escape from that mental lockdown that we all suffered in the hospital. When your brain is thinking and you can't express those thoughts or you can't get them out or when you talk, the wrong things come out. You know, so now being able to express that, it feels wonderful, you know. And here's Chuck's advice to other stroke survivors. It's going to feel like an eternity when you first get out of the hospital or even when you're first recovering. And you're going to make progress and it's going to be slow and it's going to feel like you're not even making progress but you have to fight through that and you have to see when you make progress 
and you have to be ready and able to take credit for that progress. You have to be like, okay, I, I can do this and I am doing this, you know, relearning how to walk, how to hold a spoon, use in the bathroom. I mean, all these basic things when you come out of the hospital, like putting on clothes was a 10 minute ordeal for me. The main thing is don't give up, don't give up. No matter how hard, you know, it feels, never give up. Just keep trying, push through. My sisters helped me out so much. They went and bought books. They researched stuff. They taught them stuff, stuff about, you know, a stroke. You know, they helped me out with my recovery because I had basically was like a five-year-old. Like I couldn't do math. So my sister bought me elementary kid books and I would write, I would do the math. She would buy me puzzles, different things, and she would help me do them. And persistence is the key, never give up. It's going to seem like it's a forever thing, but you're going to make progress. Despite a few tough years recovering from his stroke and drug addiction, Chuck is now sober, back to work and enjoying a healthy, happy relationship with his family. Coming up on the next episode of Stroke Stories. I did not take care of myself, even if I knew that I had high sugar and high blood pressure. I did not drink my medications as often as I should be. The next thing I knew, I had a stroke. I already worked as a call center for years, so the stress was too much for me, I guess. And as usual, let me encourage you to subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and you have a story to share, please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,